Hey, good morning, church. Welcome. Happy Valentine's Day, as Kimberly already said. Thank you to the worship team. So great to have Angel and Tom out uh, here with us this morning as well. Hey, uh, as Kimberly said, we are on week number two of our Fearsome series. So I'm really excited to share on this. And we've got three more weeks ahead of us to share on the Fearsome series. Um, but I, I want to encourage you just now, before we get further into it, to grab a notepad, grab a pen, grab a, uh, a device that you can take notes. Because uh, the notes isn't because I think I have something uh, important to say to you, although I do feel like I have something important to say to you. But the notepad is so that when God is speaking to you, you can write it down. There's a verse in the Bible, um, and it talks about writing the vision down, making it plain so those who run can read it. And one of the things that I recognize in my life is if I don't write things down, sometimes I forget the things that God is speaking to me. How many of you know that probably we are, it's 1013 right now on a Sunday morning when we're broadcasting this service, probably by 1113, the things that I've said will be 50% out of your mind. So why not take the opportunity for you to grab these things so you can apply them into your life? Because I actually believe that this is a series. The reason we've chosen to do this fearsome series is because I believe this is a time that God wants to provide freedom in your life. Because it's an interesting thing in our life that we can become captive to things that we weren't aware that we were captive to. And God desires for you to live in new levels of freedom that you've lived in yet so far. So last week we kicked off the Fearsome series, and every Sunday as we open up uh, our message for the day, I want to read this scripture, this verse over us. So why don't you take a, a moment, or in a moment, we're going to read it alongside. So this comes from Paul, an early church leader. He pens a letter to another leader he is mentoring. They have a father-son relationship because of how close they are, and he reminds Timothy this thought before Timothy heads into a seemingly impossible situation. He says this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Last week, we took a look at the story of a man named Daniel. He lived as a captive to multiple regimes. He met great opposition and was, in fact, thrown into a lion's den. But Daniel had met the living God. It wasn't religion. It wasn't theory. It wasn't logical. And it didn't need to be. When he was met with impossible circumstances where he could easily have avoided death by putting his relationship with God on hold for a month, he didn't. His personal relationship, we could easily say, was what gave him life. Perhaps that's actually a word for you this morning. A reminder for you in whatever season you are in right now, your lifeblood is not discovered in any place on this earth because your lifeblood is not of this world. Remember when you go through turmoil, or as a Bible writer put it in Psalm 23, verse 4, he said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No matter the circumstances you are in, the lifeblood that you need to make it through is available and right beside you. God has not abandoned you. He is not far from you. So we looked at Daniel's ability to continue connected to the living God and head straight into a lion's den, fear-free. Today, I trust that God is going to reveal truth to you today. To, today, we will move into another step of freedom. I'm, I'm realizing that um, you know, in the Christian walk or in the, in the relationship with Jesus, freedom is already paid for us, okay? 
So Christ has already provided freedom for us, but our acquisition or our acquiring of freedom is a lot more a journey than it is a moment. Now, it's not a journey because it's not acquired for us, but it's a journey because we haven't recognized what's been paid for us. We get new revelation. Revelation is a term we use in church, which means a revealing of something that we didn't yet know. Now, we don't find out in Revelation new truths about God. We just discover truths that already existed about God. Revelation isn't something new. Revelation is exposing of something that already exists. And I believe in this journey, as we go through the month of February and we talk about fearsome, we're going to step into new revelations of freedom where we reveal the freedom that God has already paid for us. Not new freedom that he's newly paying for us, but freedom that we have either lost or yet to acquire that has already been paid for us. Now, uh, uh, the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we know that although he has set us free, we can find ourselves entangled and captured and no longer free. We learned from Daniel that fear is not a guarantee and that there is another option. While you take notes this morning, let me give you the title of a message this second week into our fearsome series. And the title of my message is this, Life in a tent. Life in a tent. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, you are close. Help us wherever we are to recognize how close you are. God, thank you that you have paid for freedom on our behalf. And let us not settle for anything less. In Jesus' heavenly name we pray. Amen. There's a very important character in the life of the Christian religion that you may have heard of before. His name was Moses. Moses' name is still utilized as a part of our culture. If you've had a child lately or a grandchild, you may have heard the name Moses basket, referring to a bassinet-type bed for babies. Well, Moses was saved from a tent to murder, uh, was saved from an attempt to murder a generation when he was very little. His mother had hoped to save him by sending him floating down a river. The Pharaoh's daughter found him and kept him sort of like a stray puppy. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house until he was 40 years old. He killed a man and took off into the wilderness out of fear of the consequences to his actions. Life continued, and 40 years later, God gets his attention through a fire in a bush. Moses heads back to save his nationality from slavery. God intervenes, and after 10 plagues, he easily convinces Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, this is where I want to take a little deeper look into this story. The Israelite people get out of slavery. They, they see God uh, 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 part a sea to help them escape their previous rulers. God is working to fulfill a promise that he made to a nation many years before to give them a land of their own, a special possession. After traveling around and about two books of the Bible later, we find the Israelites outside of what we call the promised land. This is where we're about to enter a massive, uh, a massive tragedy. You can find this story accounted for in the book of Numbers or again retold in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, today I'm going to paraphrase it for you. We're not going to look uh, exactly at the scripture on it. Uh, maybe just before I get, into, uh, get deeper into the story, I can share these two verses with you. Uh, write them down if you can. Ponder them meditate on them as I tell you this story. The first verse is this. It's found in John 8, 31 to 36. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, 
you are my, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Let me pause there for a moment. We're about to look at a story that was all about them being in slavery for 400 years. So their understanding about Abraham's descendants never being in bondage was extremely flawed. Let's look at the next verse. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now we want to look at one more verse before I get into this story. Um, It's in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So there's this story, okay? So we've, we've got Moses. He's, he's been in uh, the palace. He's lived for 40 years. He got there in a basket down the sea, and he lived for 40 years as an official there. He killed someone. He gets afraid. He runs away into the wilderness for another 40 years. Jesus shows up in a bush and says, go back, save your country, save your people from the land that they have been held captive in for hundreds of years, almost 400 years they've been held captive. He goes back, he, he, God sends mighty plagues, 10 plagues. They part the sea, they cross the waters. And this is where we find the Israelite people. Moses is 80 years old. The Israelite people have grown up in Egypt. 400 years, generations that have only known Egypt. They've known the gods of Egypt. They've known the rule of Egypt. They've known slavery of Egypt. They've known everything that there was to do about the life of Egypt. Now, in the story of this, as we go through, it talks about there being uh, approximately 600,000 men. So let me picture this for a second. There's 3 million people that Moses takes across the Red Sea. He wasn't a small leader. (laughs) He gets across the sea. Now, I was surprised as I've been reading through this this year in the Bible, I was surprised to see that we get into the book of Exodus. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. You get into Exodus and they cross, they exit, the Exodus, they exit Egypt. And then I had always thought in my mind that they went from Egypt into this moment of the promised land where they spy out the land, they make the wrong decision, and they lose out on the promised land at that time. But actually, there's two years that takes place from the time they leave Egypt till the time they spy out the land. Two years. A journey that, uh, if, if I understand correctly from historical account, would only take about 11 days to get from Egypt to the Promised Land. Two years they traveled there. In those two years, we find the book of Leviticus. We find, uh, we find the book of Numbers. And in those two years, in the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers, sorry, in the book of Numbers and, oh, I lost it. The other book, the other book that's in the Bible that I forgot. No. Um, But as we get there, 
all that happens is all of this, these rules and restrictions, these laws, the, the Moses goes up onto the mountain, he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes down, the, the people of Israelites, the Israelite people, they make a calf and they, they say that this must be their God because Moses is on the mountain for so long. And in two years, the whole time, I can only think of one thing that God's really trying to do. He's trying to challenge their mindset from the mindset and the life that they've lived for 400 years to get into a mindset that they can believe for the promise of God again. For 400 years, they lived a lifestyle that had forgotten the promise of God, that had forgotten God, that had forgotten that they were a chosen people, that had, uh, had believed in themselves that slavery was where they were meant to be. As far as they were concerned, slavery was their life. Slavery was their freedom. For two years, they journey through the wilderness. They get the accounts of building the tabernacle, the tent, the meeting place of where God will be. They get the laws of what to eat and what not to eat. They get the laws of the priesthood. They, they get all of these information about what it is to be a Jew, to be the Hebrew people. They get all of this information. And then it comes, this moment. They're outside the promised land. It's been two years, and they've got the tabernacle built, this tent of meeting. It's been two years, and Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. The 12 spies were the leaders of 12 nations, of 12 tribes. They weren't just random people. They were men of authority, men who should have a context and understanding of who God was. They go into the land, they see the great things and they see the great opposition that could exist. They see grapes that are so big that two men have to carry a bushel and then they see giants. And immediately they think to themselves, there's great things there, but there's things I have to fight to acquire the land that God's given me. And I don't know that I think I'm strong enough to fight to get the land that God's given me. Two men come out, Joshua and Caleb, and they look at the same circumstances. Because how many of you know that your circumstances do not determine whether you can be fruitful or whether you can acquire something? Two people can look at the same circumstances and one can see faith and one can see fear. Two people can look at the same situation and one can see an opportunity and one can see opposition. In your life right now, wherever you are, the circumstances you see, there is another way to see them. If you see them as opposition, I'm here to tell you there's also an opportunity. So they get there and now Joshua and Caleb, they are amazing men who see the opportunity because they see a God who is still able to move in their life irrelevant of the circumstances around them. They tell the people, we should keep going. But their voice is lifted where they say, hey, we should keep going. The rest of the people say, we should stone Joshua and Caleb because of their belief in what God has told us to do. Believing in what God has told you to do does not mean that you will suddenly have a whole lot of friends who agree with you. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb did not give us that example. So Joshua and Caleb, they, they see this opportunity and I think if I look at this story, I can see 10 men of fear and two men of faith. Same circumstances, 
Same situation, same giants, same giant grapes, same land flowing of milk and honey, same giants. 10 men say, I'm too afraid to move forward. Two men say, God can still move if I move forward. For two years, they spent in in the wilderness learning about God and learning about the ways of God. Actually, in a lot of ways, what God was doing was breaking out all the things they had learned about every other religion so they could see the truth of who God is. That verse we read in John, it tells us that truth sets us free. That truth sets us free. I think I can even say that these 10 men saw a lie and these two men saw truth. These 10 men were still in a captivity mindset and these two men had stepped into a freedom mindset. These 10 men believed they were slaves and these two men believed they were free. The Israelite people complained a lot. They complained because there wasn't water. They complained because there wasn't food. They complained because when there was food, there wasn't meat. And God shows miracle after miracle after miracle. Now, when they reject this moment to go into the promised land, Moses talks to God. God says, okay, well, every one of you who had disbelieved, because after two years, I couldn't, I couldn't get the slavery mindset out of you. We'll have to wait for the next generation that no longer has the slavery mindset before we can acquire the promised land. How many of you would, would feel a little bit concerned right now that God was willing to take two years to try and get a slavery mindset out of people and when it didn't work, he waited for a next generation? I want to tell you, I don't want to be waiting or I don't want God to be waiting on the next generation to have a freedom mindset. I, I do want my children to do amazing things for God. Yes but I don't want to be left behind from the amazing things God has for me. They complained about the, 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 the meat. They complained about the water. They complained about the manna, this food that just showed up from heaven that took no work from them. After they find out from Moses that God says, okay, well, you, you didn't believe me now. So the land is no longer for you. Turn back and go into the wilderness, he says. So Moses tells the people, turn back and go into the wilderness. Immediately the people say, oh, well, we should go now. Because how many of you know, I've, I've got children. You, you may have children. You may have seen it in other people's lives. Once you know there's a consequence for your action, obedience comes easier. Once they understood that the land was no longer in their, in their control, they wanted to go into the land. But God doesn't ask for obedience out of compulsion, but he asked for obedience out of voluntary willingness. Because God could have told them before, if you spy out the land and you don't like it and you tell me that you're not going into it, then I'm not going to let you have it. But he didn't. Because our God is not one who, uh, who wants obedience out of compulsion. He wants obedience out of willingness. It's why so many things in the Christian, uh, in the Christian life can be distorted and, and um, perpetrated in a way that becomes ineffective. Things like generosity, things like reading your Bible, things like prayer can be distorted in a way that we miss out on the benefit of it because we're doing it out of compulsion and not out of a willing heart. 
they go in, they, they get chased out, they, they don't get the land. And God says that everyone who was over the age of 20 would die before they ever came into the promised land. 40 years. Moses spends 40 years in Egypt's palace, 40 years in the wilderness, and then another 40 years in the wilderness before he doesn't acquire or step into the promised land. Uh, I was shocked when I realized, I really had always thought that this story was Egypt to the spies in the promised land and then 40 years in the desert. And I was very intrigued when I found out that God had actually left them in the desert for, or that they'd traveled for two years before getting the laws, getting the tabernacle, getting these things. But did you know that they built this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, this tent, this place where God was supposed to be, but they missed out on the opportunity of building a temple. Because fear does this in our lives. It builds us a tent when we're called to live in a temple. It builds us a place that is temporary when we're called to be in a place that is permanent. Because here's the thing that fear does in our life, is it steals our future. No, let me say it this way. Let me correct that for a moment. I know I got a good wow vibe in here, but let me say it one more time. <laughs> a little different. Write this down, scratch out that note. This is, this is better, this is, this is better. Fear will steal your present and rob your future. Ten spies go into a land that was their future. They go in fear. They see the opposition and their thoughts go, that is too great for me to overcome. Two men go in, they see the opposition and they think that is too great for God not to overcome. Now it wasn't it wasn't their actions because their actions don't come from any place other than their thought life. Two men had gotten to a place. It actually talks about Joshua very interestingly. If you look through the Bible, it talks about Moses being in uh, the place where he would meet with Jesus, where you would meet with God. He would spend time in, in relationship with God. And we would call that prayer these days. And Moses spends time in prayer and it says that Joshua, his assistant, would be there. And when Moses would leave and go to sleep, Joshua, his assistant, would remain there. Joshua was so in tune with the word of God that fear became no longer an option because his thoughts were not permeated by the world around him. They were permeated by the word of God. The Bible says the truth will set us free. It says the son, he who the son has set free is free indeed. Last week we talked about, and I wanted to get this one point across, I wanted to get the point across that there is another option. That fear may exist in our world today. The spirit of fear may be trying to permeate things that are going on in your life, but there is another option. Do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged, do not be de de deceived by the reality thinking that fear is the only option. That is not true. That is a lie from the enemy. Fear is not the only option. There is another option. Today, I want to give you one point, and this is the point I want you to walk away from today, is that my thoughts will determine my actions, and I need freedom, and freedom comes through the Word of God. So therefore, I want to submit every thought and make it captive to the Word of God. 
I want to read um, this first. Maybe the team will get it up before I do. I'm not sure. It depends on whether I gave it to them or not. <clears throat> uh, oh, I guess we read it already. It's in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. I want to read that to you again. These, these two scriptures that we read just before, I sort of paraphrase this story. It says, For though we walk in flesh, this is in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, for though we walk in flesh, we do not war in flesh. Do, do you know what that means? It means although we are human in a physical realm, the things that we need to fight in our life are not in the physical realm. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, carnal meaning fleshly, but they are mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, things that keep us, those are like walls, things that keep us from somewhere, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, here's an important thing. I said this last week, but I want to encourage and remind you of this again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It does not mean that our weapons are against other people. Too many times Christendom or religion has said that the truth that we have is a weapon for us against others. But no, the truth that we have is a weapon for us against ourselves. The word of God is sent to me not to use it as a tool or, or a, a, um, a weapon for others, but it's actually used as a tool for myself. I, I grew up in a Christian home, meaning that, um, I guess what that means is that probably somewhere in my house there was a plaque or a picture that had a scripture on it. <laughs> you know, I don't actually remember, so I might be lying. Sorry, mom. Um, but I, I know walking into uh, different Christian homes, I remember seeing uh, plaques or, or motivational posters, that sort of idea that said, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord or different things like that. Now, I've, I've realized something as I walk in my own personal relationship with Jesus, because it does have to be personal. I realized that taking every thought captive is really challenging because everything wants to take me captive. My social media wants to take me captive. My workplace wants to take me captive. It wants to decide what I'm thinking about. And the reason I think that I, I'm starting to recognize why some homes have these plaques that say scripture verses is because I need a constant reminder of what the word of God says. Otherwise, I'll have constant reminders from what everyone else says. Even just this simple verse that we are going to read every week that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love, of power, of soundness of mind, that I remind you that it is of power, of love, and soundness of mind. If we don't have those things, then I'm, I'm telling you, it could be a sign that the spirit of fear is invading your life. But I just need the reminder that God didn't give me fear. When everything else tells me fear is the proper response, no, 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 God didn't give me fear, so fear is not the proper response. God didn't give me fear, so that is not the proper response. Submit every word, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because the truth will set you free. The reason this is true, you know, it's easy to say the truth will set you free, but the reason is, is true is because you're already free. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Which means you're already free. 
So anything that's telling you you're not free, it isn't because you're in bondage. It's because you're being lied to. And the only way that bondage has power is if you allow the lie to remain. And how do we fight the lies in our world is we fight them with truth. And where do we get truth to fight the lies in our world is, well, we get it from the word of God. The spirit of fear wants to keep you from believing it to be true. If you don't believe you are a son or a daughter of the most high God, then you will continue to operate as though you are not. It's the difference between being acquitted and sitting in jail. It's like your debt has been paid, that your letter of freedom is in the mail. It's like your college letter of acceptance is in the mail, but because we've not read it, we've not obtained it. It's ours, but we need to possess it. And greater a story about the reality of this truth is this tragedy that is the Israelites spying out the promised land. Because when the spirit of fear, these 10 men, when the spirit of fear is controlling a believer, the spirit of God is not. You've maybe heard this before, the idea that light expels darkness. Not because of power. So I, uh, we are in a very dark room and had I thought this through, I would have made them go to all black here. Please don't do it. But we're gonna do all black in this room. And the reality of darkness is as soon as light comes in, it expels darkness. Now, light expels darkness not because it's stronger than it. Light expels darkness not because of its candle power, its lumens, or its lux. These are all measurements of light for those who do not know what that is. (laughs) Light expels darkness for one simple reason, because it is present. Light expels darkness because it exists. Man, if we are captive to the spirit of fear, if we are deceived by our adversary, if we have bought into a lie, the enemy is trying to tell us to stay out of the light. Because it's not power that he has over us. It's just presence that he has there. Because what happens when light comes into a dark place is it expels darkness. Not because of its power or overpowering, but simply because it's presence. In uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 14, it says this. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in, uh, and in the power of his might, not our power, his power, not our strength, his strength, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I think this must be the only time the word wiles is used in the Bible because it's hard to say it. Wiles. It's a good mouth stretch. Everyone say that three times. Stretch your mouth. 
wiles, wiles, wiles. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is that reminder again from Paul to another church. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do not war against the flesh, war against the spirit realm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Ephesians 6.11, this is in the Amplified Version. This is the verse we already read, but I wanted to read it again in the Amplified Version. It says, put on the full armor of God, for his precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. Remember, it is schemes and strategies and deceits of the devil. It is not power of the devil. The devil does not have power over you. Do not buy into that lie. He has schemes, his strategies, and his deceits keeping you. He is darkness trying to keep you from revealing the light because light expels darkness. The truth and the power of the word of God, the truth in your life will expel the darkness. We spend too much time trying to focus on the things we are afraid of when we need to focus on the truth that is available to us. You focusing on your fears will not get you to freedom. Focusing on your fears will steal your present and rob your future. I need to say that again because we need to get that into our spirit. Because I can say it to you, but until you believe it, it won't do anything to change your life. It's not what I have to say that can change your life. It's what you uh, uh, take in and take heed of in your life. If you focus on the fears of your world, it will steal your present and rob your future. The Israelite people that went in and spied the land were robbed of the promised land. 40 years. 40 years of telling Moses, oh, why'd you bring us out into the wilderness so that our children would die? Why weren't we just left back in Egypt in slavery? Of people asking to be enslaved again because that seemed better. Yet their deception was this. They believed they were called into the wilderness by Moses. They thought, Moses, you've brought us here and we're going to die and our children are going to die. But no, their children acquired the promise. It was them who missed out. Put on the full armor of God so you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and the strategies of the seeds of the devil. I... Um, I have a couple closing thoughts I want to share with you. I just got to get to them from a different page. Life in a tent. A people that lived a temporary lifestyle in the wilderness forever when they were called to build temples and permanent structures. They were robbed of their future. This isn't me speaking against camping. I'm speaking against camping in this weather. <clears throat> a gentleman, his name is uh, Neil T. Anderson. I, I read a book of his recently, and he, he was quoted saying this. Um, he says, but I've learned from the scriptures in my experience that truth is the liberating agent. The power of Satan is in the lie. And the power of the believer is in knowing the truth. We are to pursue truth, not power. 
I'll give you this one last quote from him. Uh, and then I'm going to give you a couple steps. It says, same gentleman, Neil T. Anderson. It isn't power that sets the captive free. That, let's let that drop off of us. Feeling like we're not strong enough. Feeling like we're not capable of. Feeling like we don't have the skills enough. Feeling like it's all of these things that we aren't enough of. It isn't power that sets the captive free. It's truth. Power is only effective in the darkness. And the truth, the light, expels the darkness. Your secret that you're afraid for people to find out, it only has power because it's in the darkness. Your sin that is consuming your world, it only has power because it's in the darkness. Your lie that you're believing, your fear of whether I'll have a, a, a successful life or a not successful life, it only has power because it's in the darkness. Let's bring some truth to expel the darkness from our life. I want to give you this, um, I want to give you a, a, a couple thoughts of what you can do. So this is great. I, I want to, I, I hope, I hope that you are believing or, or feeling encouraged at the moment that the truth is available to expel my fears. Now we're not just talking about fears of this current circumstances because I don't know the fears of your circumstance. The fears of your circumstance have probably tried to rob you of the future and I'm sure that I have had some of my future robbed by fear. It could be that you had a miscarriage so you're afraid to try again. It could be that a mortgage broker turned you down for a loan so you've never asked again. It could be a relationship that the last time you called, they hung up the phone so you stopped calling back. It could be for love that you're afraid because we're not generally people who are afraid of love. We're afraid of what the consequences of not receiving that love back could be. It's not that we're afraid to love people. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of these things because probably it's happened in our life before. But that fear has kept us from stepping into a freedom that's available to us. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what that freedom is that maybe has been tried to be stolen from us by fear. But I do know that I need to submit it to the word of God. So here's, here's a simple tool. Whatever you're afraid of, find a scripture, write it down somewhere. I know uh, I've seen my wife do this. I've done this myself. We've had times where there's been things that we needed support. We needed spiritual support for, and we wrote it on our desktops. We changed our desktop backgrounds on our computers, changed our desktop backgrounds on our phones. So every time I picked up my phone, I would see this. I would see that. It would remind me, and it would be a tool for truth to come into my life. And then I want to close, and I, I hope to close every message um, this month with this as well as an opportunity for you to pray. And we're going to say a prayer together in just a moment um, you know, where, we, where we bring truth into our world. And that truth, when we bring truth into our world, the reason we put scriptures around somewhere that we can see it is because our thought life is always trying to be um, bringing us back into darkness. So we need to expel and we need to set captive. We need to hold tight our thought life and bring it back into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But I want to say this prayer, um, and if you're there and you would like to say this prayer with me, I highly encourage you to say it out loud. Um, you know, that comes from my own personal belief I, 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 that I, I really feel like the power um, that we have is in speech, not just in thought. Um, although it's sort of funny because I'm saying, you know, take your thoughts captive, but your thoughts ultimately turn into speech. And it's just roundabout. Let's, let's get to this prayer. <laughs> and then the band's going to lead us in one last song. 
Um, why don't you say this prayer with me here? Jesus, your word is truth. And the truth sets me free. In Jesus' name, I submit every thought to you to bring my thoughts into alignment with your word. Reveal to me where the enemy has deceived me. For I am free in Jesus' name. Devil, I will not listen to your lies. I will not buy into your deception. For I've been paid for with a price. In Jesus' name, amen.